Welcome to Anyone Can Play Guitar, the podcast where we learn every Radiohead song on the guitar in order. My name is Austin Diaz. And I'm Nick Kendallsperger. All right, Austin, we made it through the album OK Computer, and now we have so many B-sides. A, a to talk wealth, about. an abundance of B-sides. So, we decided to break it down how we're going to talk about Airbag, How Am I Driving EP, which is aimed at an American audience, according to the cover of that EP. It has an actual phone number on it that you can call and oh, tell, them, know. tell them how, how, how they are driving. Okay, did you do this? Uh, I mean, it's not in service anymore. Okay, okay. I think at some point, <laughs> people could leave a message. So apparently this was sort of put together a year after OK Computer to collect some B-sides that were on singles, but it didn't include all of the B-sides, so we're going to have another B-side episode next week. But I think we just need to just dive right in and get to them. So the first one up is Pearly. that airbags the first but we already talked about it who cares it's sort of jarring i just if you listen to the ep it's jarring that you have the symphonic opener to okay computer and then instead of paranoid android you get this that transition on the original album is flawless in my opinion it is yeah and this one is like oh okay yeah this is a different uh beast which was i feel like we have to say was also nominated for a grammy this ep was nominated for a grammy yep Yep, oh up gosh. against okay. up against fooling other alternative rock albums. That first transition is it's a weird choice I find to go from airbag right into this. But I guess I needed a song off of the original album to be like, yeah, this is connected. <laughs> or, <laughs> I mean, like it would have been weird. I mean, I think probably had they not had a sort of like pressures and tailoring it for an American audience, they would have just put it out without airbag at the beginning and just called it a "How Am I Driving" EP. And saw yeah. not airbag slash how am I driving? <laughs> Anyways, Nick, for some reason I have a feeling that you like this song. Hmm. Oh, I'm off. There's I'm off. some there's some classic rock magic sprinkled on this song that is sort of undeniable. So I do like this song. I always think that I might like it more than I actually do. But I have a lot of things to say, so I don't know how best to just dig into this. But that riff feels like such a classic rock riff. Yeah. So that riff is kind of amazing. It's pretty simple, I guess. How do you feel about it? On the album, I don't necessarily like it. When you watch the live versions, I adore it. Okay, we're on the exact same page. (laughs) (laughs) Hearing this song live, you're just like, oh, they made it too much of a production. I think they were searching for something to like make it more of an okay computer song. And so you get that really loud shaker. 
the shaker really does it really does stabilize the song but i don't think i think i don't want it in there because when they do it live you can hear the drum pattern from phil and it's just outstanding yeah and i mean you can tell that it's the drum pattern is very important to tom because i don't know i looked at a lot of different um i watched a lot of different live versions of this song there's one live version where first like tom's going off about like it needs to be louder and louder louder like you can tell this just (laughs) this is just a song that he wants to like burst his eardrums and then they get like halfway through the first verse and he just says stop <laughs> and they <laughs> stop the song i mean this is a concert concert they stop the yeah, song I and saw he, this one. he turns around and he's like i can't hear your snare <laughs> and feels like i'm sorry you know and it's like they're like turn it up <laughs> yeah i think you're to- okay so in the um meeting people is easy they have they play this song and yeah. tom is actually mimicking the drums as he's as, at the beginning mm-hmm. like before he starts the guitar he's like playing because he because it's an amazing part and then he's so excited to play this song live he like jumps in the air <laughs> yeah i mean but like somehow more jubilant than ed who is just beside himself every time <laughs> they play this song it seems i mean he's just running around the stage well, I mean, and Johnny is also like much more into it live than on the recording. Like his solo is so much more fun in the live versions. It's like so just so much more freewheeling and like I mean, it's different every time. And the, the one on that they include on the EP is just not just a bit like lifeless. I find. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess they. It's very atmospheric, but it uh, it misses the raw passion. I think this might be one of the songs that might have sounded better with John Lakey from the Benz. Oh, that's a good point. And I don't think I've ever said that about Nigel Godridge before, but maybe this song would have been better had it been recorded earlier. I still like it. I feel like at the beginning, I'm like, this is going to be amazing. And then about halfway through, I'm just sort of, I like it. It doesn't really go anywhere. I guess the ending is a different chord progression, but it's pretty similar. And um, it's so high. It's like... Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. The... <laughs> that, part, so that, that part is almost doable, but there's that, that darling in, in the middle. It's like... You know, he just, like, gets, he just goes higher. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I can push my... I can almost push myself to like that. Use me. <laughs> and then I'm supposed to go higher than that? It's like, yeah. F <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is really pretty. I mean, it's amazing that he can do it. And it's almost, it reminds me of when they did that James Bond cover. Nobody does it better. That yeah. part, especially. What is this song about? This is a wild discourse. I mean, I have an idea of what this song is about, but I want to read Rolling Stone's kind of summary of this song, where they said, We're not sure who Tom York is singing about on OK Computer Outtake Pearly, but with each small signifier he reveals, we can assume she's a vain, cloistered monster, a kicking, squealing, gooch little piggy all grown up, which my impression of the song is the exact opposite. Okay. <laughs> they're they're trying to be clever and like riff on what he sings about in Paranoid Android. But I find that this mm-hmm. is about some woman in a poorer country that is relying on the only thing that she can, which is her looks to try and escape her sad circumstances. It starts with this question, like, how did you get your teeth so pearly? 
right? Like there's only a question that somebody from quote unquote the first world would ask of somebody from the quote unquote third world where, you know, we don't mm-hmm. expect them to have hygiene and good dentistry and stuff. The second line reveals that some of her teeth must be dentures because probably her teeth fell out and then she got some money together so she could make her smile presentable. I mean, because that is basically the first signal of wealth in the world is like when you, if you smile, are your teeth white and are they all there? I mean, because if you think about it, you can tell the relative wealth of a person with their smile. I hadn't thought about that, but now that you're you're saying it, so like vanilla milkshakes from Hard Rock Cafes, but then that's where she got her sweet tooth for white boys. She runs from the third world. Okay, I'm going to buy your description. I like it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like you have the, the Hard Rock Cafe. I mean, I think there's a Hard Rock Cafe in some... Places they're like everywhere now. Bang- yeah. There's like I mean, like there's one in like Bangkok, and so I thought about like okay, there's a Hard Rock Cafe in Bangkok, which is parts of it are really rich and really nice, but it's also people are really poor, right? Mm-hmm. But it's, and it's also one of these countries where like really skeevy men go to pick up women. The sex trade, or like a, right, you know. And so like I could just imagine you know this character being at the Hard Rock Cafe, sipping on milkshakes, waiting to be picked up by some British, American, Canadian, I don't know, tourist. You and know. then she's saying, "Use me, darling. Use me." Darling, I, use what, what, what I can't, what I can't figure out is who's speaking that line. You know, if like Tom is admitting sort of like a temptation to like use me to escape from the third world, mm. or it's like not Tom himself, but like some other tourist, or it's the woman. Well, I mean, and also like in that meeting, people, it's easy. Did you watch that, by the way? Oh yeah, I've you know, oh, I've watched God. it like several times. I mean, I had the VHS tape when I was a kid. Oh, me and too. Would watch it constantly. But then it's all on YouTube. Yeah, I asked for it for Christmas. Okay. <laughs> we could spend a lot of time talking just about that, but... You know, but in, in that section of the thing, it is spliced with, you know, Tom sort of talking about the evils of global capitalism. On the one hand, demanding third world countries to develop or demanding the developing world to continue developing, but then also exploiting them. I feel like that, you know, that's on purpose, this splicing back and forth of this song and his commentary that would not seem to be about the song immediately, but I think is. The character in the song only has one way to get out. You know, a lot of the commentary online, three quarters of it is, no, this is like a horrible woman. Just find, yeah, that's troubling that a lot of people just immediately assume this is a vain, glorious woman who has like nice teeth and is like a man eater or something. And it's just right. depressing that many people jump immediately to that. I mean, Rolling Stone does it. Not that I have very high expectations of uh, Rolling Stone's commentary, but... I think that's good. I mean, yeah, I feel like this is one of those songs that the more they worked on it, the less good it got. And that it's a pretty immediate rock song, and maybe it should have remained more like that. But I like it. I'm okay with this song. Let's move on to Meeting in the Isle.
right, Austin, how much of this song did you learn on guitar? I mean, that... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah. I learned it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too, yeah. <laughs> Those are like, I can get up to the 19th. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about this song? I mean, I think it's fine. I don't know why it's a song. I mean, when we were talking about it earlier, you messaged like, it's barely a song, and I think that's just correct. It's barely okay. a song. It's like yeah. an, it's an idea, I mean, this sort of like achromatic descending riff that they're like, oh, this is fun. And it is fun. It's got a nice groove to it, especially when the drums kick in, which I guess are from Zero Seven, who yeah. I otherwise only know from the Garden State soundtrack. They did some remixes on the Climbing Up the Walls CD single. They sort of helped Radiohead experiment with this looping sort of way of building a song. And so, I th yeah, but I think this is just an experiment. This is probably like something like, hey, the Zero Seven guys were around and they're like, hey, listen to this riff. And they're like, oh yeah, we do this and da 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 da. Yeah, I think you're totally right. I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, dis I, uh, yeah. I don't dislike it. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, I just, I don't love it. But as far as a kind of song, I'd rather them be doing something like this, where they're pushing themselves to do something interesting. It's a song I like to have on all the time. Maybe I like to have it on because I don't have to think about it that much, which okay. maybe is not a good thing. But it's like a song you can have on that just kind of is chill. It maybe sounds easy to make, but this is actually pretty hard to keep it interesting the whole time. Which they do. I mean, they ha it's not a song that you get bored of. It doesn't overstay its welcome, and it always is adding something sort of new. That's true. What did you think about this song when you first heard it, like in 1998 or 99? Oh, I mean, I thought, it was, I thought it was awesome. I was so... You thought it was awesome then. I thought okay. I was so impressed with it. I mean... It took me some time. You know, at that time, there was this trend of rock bands having B-sides, you know, like remixed B-sides of their rock songs that make them sound kind of dancey. And so I might have lumped it in with that, but it's a very different thing. When was the heyday of those like Elvis remixes that were main, main to be It was dancing? total late 90s. You know, I mean, the Smashing Pumpkins had remixes of Perfect, and then U2 really did it as well. What are our current thoughts on U2? Oh, man, I go through... I don't like anything that they've done recently at all. No. And I like everything they do less and less. I think I still like Actoon Baby. I think that's still my favorite. And I like Zuropa. <laughs> I think Zuropa is kind of like wild. Okay. And insane. That's like they went as far as they could and they're like, okay, that's probably too far. Mm -hmm. We need to be more mainstream now. And I liked it when they were just coming up with the craziest things they could think of. Where are you? Sort of the same. I like Achtung Baby, I think, was like the last I really liked. You know, the EM Euro Cup, they have the theme song for that here. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard it over there. Is it a new song? Yeah, it's a new song. And it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> like... Well, I mean, well, it's just—it's it's just like uh, it's just what they've been doing for the past couple of years, it's like this sort of like sappy Joshua Tree era guitars turned into okay, arena that rock. Ringing. Mm. Yeah, I'm not a huge early U2 fan, and then I got caught up in the one they released around 2000, "All That You Can't Leave Behind." Yeah, I think I did too, actually. 
I mean, I think they did a lot of interesting things. I think that they are almost like the opposite of Radiohead in some respects. Yeah, this is why I wanted to bring them up. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I feel like U2 only makes sense when they are popular and that Radiohead just really doesn't care. They feel like they would much rather do whatever they want to do and they're happy for anyone who wants to follow along. And well, U2 feels like embarrassed if everyone is not a fan. I think that serves Radiohead much better. I mean, that they almost, or they realize like the the disturbing parts of fame and how that can break people and almost yeah. broke them. And like, mm-hmm. OK Computer is the start to be like, no, we don't fulfill expectations just to be popular. Where U2, like you said, with Zuropa, they pushed it and then realized that the people don't like this. <laughs> Mm-hmm. We're going to pull back and like make more and more commercial music. Oh, that's a, oh, we got a lot in. I didn't know if we were, I thought the meeting in the aisle conversation was going to last 30 seconds, but it, it ended up being good. I like it. Okay. Well, I brought my U2 game. <laughs> okay. I like it. <laughs> All right. So the next song is a reminder. Once I was clear. Once I I found this song so surprisingly difficult because it's in three, four time, which is sort of like that waltzy, like one, two, three, one, two, three, but it's not a waltzy song. I mean, it's like a dirge. I found that I only really appreciated playing it by myself when I finger picked it. I mean, I felt like I could only do justice to like those transition chords of C and the, like, that uh, G major 7. Yeah. Uh, if I finger-picked it. This, more than any song, gets lost in the production. This is a song that begins in total atmosphere for about like 45 seconds, right? It's Tom's recording of the Prague subway system. So I get the idea that this song sort of feels like they're conjuring it up out of nowhere. But man, I find this song pretty boring. This reminds me of one of those uh, atmospheric songs on the Ben's B-sides that just kind of goes nowhere. I'm mostly on the same page with you, except, I mean, there's one break to that, what I find sort of challenging chord progression, just because I can't figure out how it works without all the production around it. Smash out my brain. You know, that's part. If I take a chair, start to... I love that chord. The D sharp yeah. diminished seven. Start to talk yeah. shit. I mean, that part's... It's like, it's worth listening to the song for, for me. I just am amazed, because apparently this song was going to be on the album. It was in the running order. Man, I am so glad it's not on the album. <laughs> we had talked about the production of Bitches Brew, how it is very open. It feels like a room. This one has that feeling, but it's barely a song. Yeah, and it's a bit... I mean, what do you think the song is about? Because I find it quite on the nose, not wanting to lose your ideals as you get older. 
you know, that like sort of stereotypical saying, like anyone that's a Republican under 30 doesn't have a heart and anyone that's a Democrat over 30 doesn't have a brain. We don't want to fall into the trap of uh, capitalism, basically. So he's saying like, if I do do that, knock me out and smash my brains. <laughs> right. I like that image of, you know, taking a chair and like sitting down and like say, this is how the world works. This is, I know, yeah. I know it now. And like, hey, you need to start investing, networking. I learned it and I played it. And then I'm probably never going to play this one again. No, We're, we agree on this one. I mean, okay. Except- I was, I didn't know how you felt about it. So I'm glad we agree. All right, let's move on from a reminder. I think we've said all we need yeah, to. Yeah, true. They like never play this song live or barely ever. And I think there's a reason for that. The next song is Polyethylene Parts 1 and 2. Just got paid and now you're going down inside you, please. If I get scared, I'll just call you. I miss you close, I am sad of how I'll always feel, I'll always be. One, two, three, four. Nick, you wanted me to maybe talk you down about Let Down. I need you maybe uh-huh. to talk me back that Polyethylene Part 1 is one of the best 30 seconds in their discography. I absolutely adore this opening part oh explain Tell i don't why know like i mean it's um one it's in my favorite key of b minor b minor is my favorite key in like all varieties of music especially in classical music box b minor mass is i don't know if you've ever listened to that Mm-mm. um you should check it out at one point i don't ha- i don't have that much knowledge of classical music that's yeah. that's what you're here for yeah Check out Box B minor mass. I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, it's like a key that's always, like some people like describe as like melancholy longing or giving into fate. Beethoven called it the black key, which is one of the reasons I don't like Beethoven that much. Don't at me. No, but. Okay. <laughs> hot take coming here. Hot take. Beethoven hot sucks. Take. No, it's just overrated. <laughs> And two, it's just like, this is something that Tom York had, or, you know, he and Johnny, or he and Ed had, like, they, there's nowhere else, there's nowhere else to go with this song. I've tried. If it's B minor, right, you're like, tears joy and scared ourselves into, you know, which is beautiful, right? And it's all the chords, B, and it's just repeating that line, you know, yeah. and if you're going to go anywhere with, like, if you're like, oh, that you want to you have to go to like the D major, which is the relative major, mm-hmm. and then the C. And the, that would be like what some sort of like acoustic troubadour singer songwriter would do. Chords would go to D major, or C major, C sharp major, F sharp, and it just then ruins the song. It needs to stay in that loop. Yeah, it just needs to stay in this loop, and it just needs to do it four times. It needs to end. I mean, but like that vocal line is like, Oh, inside you, please. If I get scared, I'll just call you. I mean, that's just beautiful, mm-hmm. in my opinion. It's not very Radiohead. Okay. In comparison, I think, to their, the rest of the catalog. But I'm just so happy that they just sort of threw it on at the beginning. Okay. of. I mean, I think Polyethylene Part 2 is the song. And then they had this thing that Tom was like, I don't know what else to do with this. 
it can't go anywhere else or otherwise it ruins <laughs> what it is. So he like plays it and then you have that like live countdown, right? Like one, yeah. two, three, four. And then you get into the song that they've actually put together. Because they never play yeah. part one live. I mean, there's oh. plenty of recordings of part two where they just call it polyethylene. This one doesn't speak that much to me, but I, it is very beautiful. And I always love hearing the first part especially because I cannot stand part two. It drives me up the wall. Oh, what? Really? (laughs) I wish they had ended this song (laughs) after the four lines. I never want want to hear part two. This is the most annoying song I think that they've done since Pablo Honey. Wow. It just... I mean, okay. It's just like they just tried so hard to find a way to make it weird. So they have the different time signatures, the chords. I mean, there's just a... They change the chords every like two seconds. Yeah, I mean, it's not in a a key afterwards. It's not in a key. I mean, it just goes around. And it is so awkward, and it just never finds its footing. You know how we were talking about Paranoid Android, of like, this is as good as they get at this particular thing, and then they go down a different road. And I think this is like the canary in the coal mine saying, stay away! (laughs) (laughs) You're going to create rock that's like too pretentious to like even get through a full line. Leukemia, schizophrenia, polyethylene. I'm just like, Oh, man. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's what I find is that it's definitely a joke song. And it's more of an idea, I think, that they were obsessed with. I mean, like, if you go back to the old web page archives that you can find on, like, Citizen Insane, um, I mean, they have pages and pages about polyethylene, which is a right. plastic polymer that's in, like, the grocery bags and milk jugs and all that sort of. I mean, it's a horrible thing derived from mainly natural gas and oil, petroleum. And it's still a problem. I, I like part two more than you do. The counting system, you definitely have to do what I was talking about last episode, where it's like one and two and three and four and five. That's sort of like tumbling. Yeah. Um, I despise that part and that... Oh, with the A sus four. And then the later in the verse with the D sus sustained four. Like, I hate... This pull off needs to die in all okay. music. I just don't ever. I don't. I want to hear this one, and I don't want to hear this one. I mean, I just feel like that is a '90s thing that uh, can stay there. Um, nothing calls to mind the '90s more than like that D sustained four pull off. I mean, it makes me think it's of Hootie and the Blowfish and um, <laughs> Third Eye Blind. I have complicated feelings about the lyrics. I think it is because I recently watched Bo Burnham's Netflix special, Inside. Have you watched this? I have not. Uh, I mean, he's a YouTube slash YouTube star slash stand-up comedian slash, like, director. He did a pretty good movie called Eighth Grade. Anyways, I mean, but, like, his shtick, if you can say, is joke songs, right? Like, he's sort of the millennial Generation Z version of Weird Al. It's not so geeky, strange, but it's still like the music, it's like joke music. The latest special he has, like a 
two interludes where he's just singing Jeffrey Bezos over and over again. You did it. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey Bezos. And then, you know, he has one song that's uh, like an acoustic ballad and it's just listing all the horrible things that you can find on the internet. Pornhub's Terms of Service and things like that. <laughs> I was watching that special recently called The Mind This Song a bit because of that, you know, plastic bag, middle-class polyethylene, decaffeinated... I let it keep our surfaces clean. I mean, it's just sort of this listing of things that sound compelling and ultimately doesn't work because it is a joke mm-hmm. song and it's there's not the usual musical innovation that they have with other joke songs like or what they call joke songs like uh, Just or Paranoid Android where they're just, you know, for them a joke is to push in as many chords as possible, like every possible chord or yeah. change the typing because there's so many different times. And this is just like more of a Bo Burnham comedian joke song. Where like in both instances, both Burnham and Radiohead are making a point. It's just, it always sort of rings hollow for me. Don't be sarcastic. Oh, don't be overly earnest and don't be overly sarcastic. Like you have to find somewhere in between. Otherwise I'm just sort of left feeling empty. I just feel like a lot of people love this song. Yeah, right? It's crazy. A lot of people. It's a very popular and I don't, I get the beginning part. I just really don't understand quite the love for this song. I find it a bit puzzling. It's very much like loud, quiet dynamic again, just sort of with very distorted guitars. I mean, I guess there's a Mellotron running through it, which is obviously Johnny, but this is one of those things where it's not, I I have a hard time even feeling affection for this song. (laughs) The Ben songs just felt, the Ben's B-side songs are just so lovable. And I find that the some of these OK Computer B-sides that I don't like are kind of cold and too removed. But maybe that's just where Radiohead's going. So I'm a little concerned for future B-sides from this point going on, like after the OK Computer era. I mean, the ones that I have in my memory, I really enjoy. OK, I'll hold back. But it's something to think about. We'll, we'll come back to Put this concept. Put a pin concept. in it. Put a pen. Put in a it. pen in it. Okay, so you like the you love the first part, and yeah. you sort of. I can are... sit down and play this first part all the time. Um, and yeah, part two, I like. I mean, it's just fun to play that. Okay. Or like Johnny's like variations on it as it keeps. Johnny messes around with it as they go forward with the song. All right. Well, let's 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 move on to melatonin. To melatonin. vacation right now so I can't pull out the keyboard I would try to play this because it's kind of fun to play on the keyboard and there's not much to play here (laughs) on the guitar yeah Um, I mean like did you play it on the guitar at all um I tried to but I I just played like the regular chords and it doesn't really sound as cool as it would on the keyboard I mean I had it like that I just like did like really crazy trying to play it sound like a harp Mm-hmm. Um, on the strings, like don't forget, and then it kind of works. 
but it's also but a lot of work. <laughs> it is. I kind of like this song, I think. This actually reminds me, uh, when the drums come in, of an amnesiac B-side. Um, I just made a comment on how I wasn't looking forward to some B-sides, but I do kind of like all the amnesiac B-sides. And this one has that experimental vibe with the drums that come in sort of halfway through. I've had more fun playing it on the guitar than I thought once I just sort of started to play it this way. Okay. And I, then I could just like play, play through it a couple times. But I mean, the lyrics are tough for me. I should have looked it up. One, I've been wondering the whole time, but like, did Tom have a child at this point? Because I feel like he had to have had one. I mean, you have a child, right? Oh, yeah. I have children. It's just this weird thing about having kids where you want to be sort of measured and environmentally conscious and like stick to your ideals and stuff. And then like a kid comes along and you're like, no, I'll do anything you need me to do. You know, this song, it like just starts out as this sort of lullaby, like, don't forget that you are a son. Now go back to bed. It's like, okay, this is cute and sweet. And like, what is Radiohead? Like, why is he singing about this? I mean, it's actually not Radiohead, right? Like in this chord book, it just credits it to York. Then it ends with like death to all (laughs) stand in your way. Right? Which is like this really brutal thing to say, right? Death to all that stand in your way. But for my sons, it's like, yeah. I mean, like, when it comes down to it, it's hard to, like, not actually f- feel that way. If somebody messes with you, I won't kill them, but I will come to your defense and aid and, you know, do whatever needs to be done to protect you, right? And I think that, like, that he takes that parental impulse to its, you know, logical conclusion, like, death to all that stand in your way, which is sort of what most parents would do if they really thought about it. Disturbing in a true way. I feel like it, it doesn't, it comes a little bit out of nowhere. I know what it's trying to say, but. I feel like if it was more poetic, it would not be as jarring. As, I mean, especially because it's such like a soft lullaby chord progression. And then you have these like nice drums that kick in and you're like, ah, oh, this is cool. And then it's death to all mm-hmm. that stand in your way. <laughs> I mean, I, I like that he didn't go more poetic here. And just use like okay. a, like just use a cliche. I mean, because like so much of parenting also just comes down to cliches. As much as you don't want it to, I have more to say about the lyrics and the chords. But the the, the chords, it has that like a B minor to A, which is also the exchange that I love in Polyethylene Part One. It's just like a wonderful change. It's nice to come up on the EP. Like if you listen to the EP in one. Go. Yeah, that's a good point. It works at this point, I think. Especially after Polyethylene Part 2. Polyethylene almost made it on the album. I don't think Melatonin did, which endears me more to the song. I like the B-sides that were not ever going to be album songs. I like that idea because this feels like a B-side, and I like it because it's a B-side and that it never had a shot <laughs> to right. make it on the album. Same with and like... That's okay. Uh, you never wash up after yourself, right? That never yeah, had a shot yeah. to be on any album. Which is why I like it all the more as yeah. a B-side huh. and as a okay. song. Yeah, I was trying to figure out why I liked this so much more than polyethylene, and I think that is why. All right, well, let's move on to the last song on the EP, Palo Alto.
the first time I ever heard this song was on Meeting People is Easy. The documentary, I guess we would call it, that came out after OK Computer and showed their tour on the road. What do you think is the documentary of? Of a breakdown, maybe? Yeah, of it's a, a documentary uh, of like Tom's spiraling depression and catatonic <laughs> state. And just imagine what this does to like a fifteen-year-old. I don't to have watch to imagine this. it. I was there. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm talking to the audience. Like, how was I supposed to react to seeing something like this when I lived in a little town in Indiana? At least you were in uh, Indiana. I was in Kentucky on a farm. A farm, <laughs> Nick. <laughs> like. And you watch Radiohead going around the world playing music and looking miserable. Miserable. Most of Mis- you know, <laughs> I had to turn on the subtitles for this movie because I didn't understand half of it. And he mumbles, Tom does. He does mumble a lot. <laughs> and it's like, but I, even then when I, I didn't understand it because I didn't, I wasn't keyed into like global capitalism and sweatshops and the stock market and real estate I mean, like he he uh, predicts that the real estate market is going to crash. He was just ten years ahead. That's true of his time. <laughs> I just remember watching it with my good friend Eric, who was on an episode before, um, because I loved Radiohead, and I think it really severely influenced me. <laughs> but in the middle of the movie, they play this song called Palo Alto. Uh, this song makes a lot of sense in the context of OK Computer. Well, it was initially called OK Computer. Right, yeah, yeah. So the name of the album came from this song, and it was going to be on the album. I'm okay with it not being on the album. I think who O'Brien is the quote that says, like, had they put this on the album, the album would have been different. It would have been more commercial. He admits that they would have sold more albums, maybe, if like they'd put this on and then let it sort of steer the album, whereas they yeah. just took the title and then changed the title of the song. So Palo Alto, for anybody who doesn't know, is that's the area in California where all around where all the tech companies are in Silicon Valley. But this is before Facebook and Google. Yeah. And- it's amazing that they were able to identify how important it would be so far in advance. And like how evil it would be. And I mean, we're just now in 2021. I feel like general consensus that these companies are bad. Right. I mean, I mean, because they had like a good 15 year run where like everyone thought this is wonderful. These are like the greatest things. Facebook, Google, Twitter, like it's all connecting us around the right. world. I mean, like Arab Spring, who cares if it didn't actually work out? It's down to they've paid some of the smartest people on Earth to figure out how to keep you on Facebook for like an extra 15 seconds even. And if that doesn't work, they just recommend that you join a hate group. but anyway okay now getting to the song it is a very simple song i mean i guess so instead of a d you're playing a d add four yeah but then it's just g a and d and then at the very end you get a d or i guess in the solo you get a d7 and a c7 yeah but then the solo is just like You know, it's like, you know, it's, not, yeah. it's catchy, but it's just like a chromatic run down the, the B string. I find that, you mean, the chorus is just A, 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 G, 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 D, 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 D. I mean, I kind of wish they hadn't done that 
without the singing, because I think when he's singing it, it works so much better. But I'm okay. How are you? Thanks for asking. I mean, it's it's really catchy. It's a really catchy song. <laughs> and so I kind of like this song a lot. It's just one of the more successful B-sides from this era. I agree. Because I think the lyrics are perfect for the song because it's not too judgy, but it's clear what they're on about. Everybody's happy. Everyone is made for life. These are all like slogans, like meet the boss, meet the wife. I'm okay. How are you? Thanks for asking. When you say it like that with a shit-eating grin on, you know, like, I hope you're okay too. You know, there was such optimism in California in that time. And they did make so much money, you know? It's amazing I kidded myself for so long. With a beautiful bombshell, I throw myself into my work. And work is what sets them free. Work is what gives them that meaning. So, but the, the ultimate message is that, like, this meaning through work is ultimately hollow, right? Even though they never come out and yeah. say it. I feel like I really took that to heart as a <laughs> teenager. <laughs> You took their message. You got the message. I got it. You know, you and got I, it. <laughs> and uh, part of me, like, me wonders, too, Austin. Me too. Well, I wonder. And hear me out. And because I'm just, I'm sort of like thinking out loud, right? I okay. wonder if that was a mistake. No, I, I get it. It's like, did this ruin me? I think about that. But no, I don't, because you're not that kind of person. I don't want to ignore things that are going on, and I think that's what this is about. I, I mean, I agree. I find the conversation really interesting, and I like that the... I mean, the song is definitely a springboard for such thoughts. And uh, it's also just catchy as hell. Yeah. And kind of a pop song in an era without many songs like this. Like, this sounds more like some of the Ben's material, though produced in a OK Computer fashion with a very distorted guitar that's just so metallic sounding. It's really an amazing sound. It is. It is an amazing distortion. Because, I mean, they're just playing an A for most of it. Yeah. <laughs> but... Because of the way they've produced it, it sounds so gritty. As much as I hate, like, the that pull-off, I love the sound of, you know, sort of muted strings with distortion. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, like, every song that I love from the 90s has that in it. Like, uh, Zero is, like, probably my favorite Smashing Pumpkins song. And it's mm -hmm. just built on the, like... And, like, that's the best part of the yeah. song. <laughs> in my opinion I was wondering like okay so if you put this song after Fitter Happier it actually is kind of amazing because <laughs> it's this like wildly it sounds so happy after like a really dark song but then it throws the whole album off and it it wouldn't work yeah I mean th is, then you wouldn't be able to like you wouldn't be able to get through climbing up the walls Lucky and the Tourist yeah, no, I, I don't think it would work, but this is the only B-side where I'm just like, oh, could we squeeze that on there somewhere and see what oh, happens? Oh, no, I, I, dis <laughs> I disagree full-heartedly. Okay. I feel like they needed this song to transition into the OK Computer era. Like, it was like a bridge. And then they're like, okay, we've crossed it, and then let's burn this bridge behind us. Well, I, I think it's a really interesting song, even though it looks kind of basic when you break it apart. 
But I do, I do kind of like it. And it ends the EP in a nice way. A very weird EP. I don't think it holds together as well as the My Iron Lung EP, yeah. I'd say. Before we started this, I think I would have picked this EP. Yeah, I definitely would have picked this one. I mean, this one is much more was much more in my memory than the My Iron Lung EP. Even though I knew the songs on both. It's really raining here, by the way. I don't know how much it's going to... Oh, okay. Well, we're at the end now, but you can... We'll just keep going through it. Yeah, I yeah. can hear it. That's funny. I felt a little disappointed in this EP, and I think that's because they made all the right decisions. Well, I mean, it's just also <laughs> because, all like... all the best songs on the album. Right. The superior album to the bins, I find, in an objective sense. Then, of course, like, any B-side is going to pale more in comparison than, like, a B-side to the uh-huh. bins. So we still have a few more to talk about. We have Lull and How I Made My Millions. Right. And then we have the three songs that weren't released at the time, but were just released on the OK Not OK 20th Anniversary Edition, which is I Promise, Lift, and Man of War. This will be really interesting to dig into those songs. And then we're going to have our OK Computer Awards. All right. Where we talk about our favorite, you know, songs from that album and favorite B-side. And then the song that surprised us the most 